You're listening to the Inner Child Podcast. Hey, besties, we're back today with another incredible client transformation success story. I am currently in Japan with Andrew at the time this episode is released, but I wanted to get this to you in advance because this was such a beautiful conversation. Today, you are going to meet our soulmate alumni, Guida. Guida is somebody who experience massive success inside Soulmate, learning to develop a secure attachment, learning how to date properly. As somebody who used to just fall into these awful relationships, almost like a magnet, and would get trapped in them for months and months and months. We talked about how one of her biggest breakthroughs was actually quitting her job as a lawyer and going to work at a restaurant, and how that unfolded for her. We're going to talk about how Guida learned to open up in group settings, how in the beginning of the program, she thought she was making a huge mistake by joining. And she was always feeling really suspicious and paranoid and emailing me about privacy and things like that. Going from that to becoming one of our most active members inside the community, making lifelong friends with other soulmates. So if you're in need for a dose of inspiration and hope, I hope that this episode will inject some of that into your day-to-day. Let's go right after this intro. Hi, I'm Gloria Zhang, and after 10 years of struggling in toxic relationships, I attracted the love of my life by healing my inner child. This podcast is your weekly dose of my expertise as a therapist and dating relationship coach for high achievers. Learn tips to overcome low self-worth, emotional baggage, and childhood trauma so that you too can step into your power and attract the love you desire. Welcome to the Inner Child Podcast. Da-da-da, Guida is here live on the Inner Child Podcast. How are you doing, Guida? Hi, Gloria. Thanks for having me today. I'm doing really well. I'm super excited to be here today. Yes, me too. It's been almost a year, right, since I've known you, or maybe a little bit over a year. And I know that before we hit record, we were talking about how things feel really different in this sustained period. What's been going on with you recently? Yeah, I think it has been a year. I signed up for this program. I think February 1st was the start of the program. So it really has been a year. So it's kind of serendipitous now for the timing of me being on the podcast. And I think the last few months have been great. It's been quite a stable period in my life. And I think I've really been able to see a lot of the fruits of the work that I put in through the program for everything to come together lately. I think it's one of the first periods, at least in my recent memory, where my mood and outlook and everything have been quite stable. So right now, I'm just looking at a lot of life through an abundance lens. And that's really different from how I used to perceive things before. Rita, if you could tell us a little bit about you and maybe where you started before all of this healing. Yeah, for sure. So when I entered into this program, I think I was in a place of uncertainty and honestly, I think despair in a lot of areas of my life. I think my experience is probably similar to a lot of folks throughout the pandemic when we went into lockdown, just really feeling like the life that you currently have is almost what you're stuck with. 
like life just hit pause on you. And I started to wonder the life I have, like, am I happy with my circumstances? And am I happy with my situation being as it is for an indefinite period of time? And so that was quite difficult for me. And I had been in counseling since about 2017. And towards late 2021, so after about four and a half years, I'd realized I'd hit a wall. So I had dealt with a lot of, I think, putting out fires, essentially, where when I was going through really heightened emotional experiences or feeling like I was almost in a crisis, that work was great. But I knew a lot of things intellectually, but felt like I didn't have the tools to move forward and break through some of my patterns. And I'm thankful to have a lot of people in my life who are also very consciously on their own healing journeys. And some of my friends had actually transitioned into coaching. And so around that time, I think I was just searching Spotify top 100 healing podcast or something, and I came across your podcast. And it was the first time I even heard about inner child healing in a meaningful way. Like some friends had mentioned the term and talked about some concepts in passing, but I didn't actually know what much of it meant. And after listening to a few podcasts, something just resonated with me. And I was like, I feel like Gloria will understand me. Like, I'm not sure at the point if you had in your podcast spoken about fearful avoidant tendencies as well. But I think that might have resonated with me as well as just some of your lived experiences I thought might have been similar to mine. And so I thought there could be that level of understanding there. And I had just quit my law job actually at that time in January. It wasn't a good environment for me and it wasn't a good fit. And so I was entering into a period of prolonged unemployment But I hopped on this discovery call with your team, and I felt like this was the right way for me to go. I remember I had a lot of fear when I was entering the program. I was also worried about making this type of financial and time investment in myself when I wasn't going to have a career, quote unquote, type of job for the foreseeable future. And I didn't know if it'd be worth it. I didn't know if I was worth it. I didn't know if this was the right way to go. And so I don't know if I had told you this, Gloria, but I had a bit of a meltdown after I signed up for the course. And so I actually cried a lot. Like I think after you did? this is the first yeah, time I'm hearing yeah, about so it. So I actually Aww. it was that night, I think after I might have like paid my initial deposit or something. And then I was just crying. Like I was all out bawling and I was just, oh my God. I was like, I'm so scared. Oh, and Part of it was because I was being hard on myself, wondering, should I not be saving my money for life, considering I just quit my job? And oh my God, why am I spending it on personal growth? I can probably put all of this off. So having a lot of self-doubt and being critical, but also being fearful, wondering, is this not going to work out? Is it going to be worth it? Is this just going to be another thing I try that doesn't work out? And will I feel like a failure? Will I end up feeling more stuck? And so... I was coming into the program with all of that. I guess I was in a period of needing to try a different growth and healing modality, coming off the heels of just quitting my job and being really uncertain about what this program would offer for me, but kind of doing it anyways. So I think coming from a place of fear, I think, and uncertainty. Well, Guida, thank you for telling me that. I seriously had no idea. You had never shared that with me before. but. It makes a lot of sense. I knew that you had just come out of that job, right? Mm -hmm. And it was a 
soul-searching period of time for me. So let's touch upon that a little bit. I know that sometimes talking about money can be triggering for listeners and folks who are currently in that state of scarcity. I fully know what it feels like to be there. But still, there was something in you that pushed you to take this leap of faith, right? Despite being scared. I would love to hear more about what you think that was. What was that little voice that did it anyway and took that leap of faith? So I don't know if I would have been able to articulate this at the time, but especially after going through the program, I suspect that it really was just my intuition. I think I knew that it was the right decision for me to make, especially through learning through this program that fear isn't something that you can always hope to eliminate, that fear is something that you more so befriend and you do things with that alongside you. So I think that might have been an instance of me really trusting my intuition. And I feel like through this program, I've really been able to strengthen that. But it was a lot of looking at little signs as well, I think. So just hearing my friends talk about inner child healing and saying that they're going into coaching. And then it happened really fast between me going on Spotify and then Oh, I hope this doesn't sound like Spotify plug as well. I've mentioned Spotify <laughs> a few times now. <laughs> so me going there. Yeah. No one's and, paying us, guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is a sponsor by Spotify. Um, and me listening to your podcast and then setting up that call with your team to me then entering into the program, it happened really fast. So I think it was also me getting caught up in the momentum of it and not giving myself enough time for me to talk myself out of it, for me to just kind of go with my instinct and to just go with it. And I think that is why I had that strong emotional reaction after. It's because then I decided like I was actually paused then and I thought, oh my God, what have I done? But I'm glad that I did it because if I would have thought too much about it and pushed up against that intuition. You talked yourself out of it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I might've done that. Yeah. <laughs> This is something I think only high achievers really understand, right? I mean, when I think back on some of my decisions I've made, a lot of the biggest decisions I've made have been those very fast gut instinct type of feelings. We're talking about something very interesting right now. I think in modern day society, we've almost over relied on the executive thinking mind, right? And the pros and the cons and the weighing. But I think what we're talking about is an ancient kind of intelligence, which is that intuition, right? It's in the body. It's sometimes very illogical. And we can talk about some of those boss battles that other people around you might have considered illogical decisions. But it's a nonsense decision that comes from your intuition. And that's exactly how I would have described it for me as well, Guida. With some of these big boss battles you've worked on inside the program, what have you learned intuition is for you? So I think intuition for me is just really sitting with my feelings and slowing down and giving myself the time and space to just listen to my body and listen to the signals that it's giving me. I think I've really realized that intuitively, like I have all the answers and sometimes even when we look towards other people for reassurance, it's like we typically know like our bodies are very wise. And I think even if we don't consciously think of it, 
our lived experience is just there. And so I think we're constantly being informed of that. And for me, I think, especially with respect to boss battles, the boss battles have felt like this little niggling, itching, this little like gnawing type of feeling, this pervasive feeling that when you go through an interaction or a situation, you think like, here we go again. Okay. And it brings up these negative feelings. It feels like something that you've been putting off. And with me, two of those boss battles, well, one had been like setting very firm boundaries with a certain family member who I realized makes me feel very unsafe in my body and where they maybe aren't going to change in a way that I need them to change for us to have a healthy relationship. And then me doing something similar as well with a long-term friend, a friendship of 15 years where I've really started to pay attention to what things feel like in my body as opposed to suppressing any of that. So to get more specific on what that feels like to me, it's the way my breath almost catches. It can be something like seeing a text message from someone and your breath catches in your throat or your body starts to tense up or you could even just feel like your eyes widen or you start to just think worrying thoughts. You start to think like, how are they going to react to this? Or what if I do things this way and they're not going to like it? And it's really about listening to yourself do that as opposed to being on autopilot and thinking that stuff's normal or just being dismissive of it. I think a lot of conquering these boss battles and learning to hone my intuition really came about because I forced myself to slow down. Like I think a large part of this program, especially with learning how to deal with our emotions, has been like sitting with things. And I think for myself and probably a lot of other people who you know, have tendencies where you maybe seek external validation, you're a people pleaser, you're a high achiever, maybe to satisfy other people, maybe to prove something to yourself, but we're busy. We keep busy and we operate from a place of being, it can be chaotic sometimes. And I think in a lot of fields, like in my own, like I work in the legal field, being busy, it's glorified. And, you know, lawyers talk amongst themselves like it's a badge of honor about how many all-nighters they've pulled for such and such file or how little sleep they've gotten. And I think when we operate that way, you're just surviving and you're not able to sit and listen to any of the signals that your body's giving you. Right. So true. It's pervasive even in the culture, right? let alone just our families or the families that we're born into. It's literally the environment that we all live in. Yeah, exactly. And I found that when I was putting up these boundaries with certain boss battles, I mean, there's a lot of people in my life who are very supportive, but then other ones didn't quite understand. I think it's nice that culture is getting to a point where we're having more discussion about boundaries now, but I think Oftentimes, and I've been like this as well, we're just used to having certain people in our lives that honestly cause us emotional distress. And that's normalized to a large extent. And so I think part of my process as well has been making sure that I don't take advice from people where their philosophy on boundary setting and who they keep in their life is different from mine. And understanding that even if other people wouldn't apply this to their own life, that doesn't mean it isn't the right path for me. And that's been another great thing about being in group coaching because 
I was really skeptical about that at first as well. That had me very fearful. Like, I don't know if you'll remember this as well, Gloria, but (laughs) I was very self-conscious about, you know, how long are these calls going to be kept for? Who's going to see these video calls? Like I was very like, (laughs) who's going to hear about, right? Like, and that was coming from that same fearful place as when I first started. I was like super self-conscious. I was like, are all these people going to be like sitting here and listening to all of the stuff about my inner world? And again, that was me being so scared to open up, but group coaching has been so wonderful for me. And to be in a forum with so many aligned people where we're all moving towards the same goals, I think being able to hear like when I was going through setting boundaries and seeking advice from this group of people where we were able to understand each other. And it's like, these are the folks that I should be getting advice from. Yes. Right. And it's like, I think that's so important as well. It's that community building aspect and it's finding a like community who can support you when you're going through these difficult things. And just because you have people in your life that you might love them, you might respect them. That doesn't mean that those should be your go-to people or that those should be the people you take advice from for certain areas of your life. So I found all that to be very eye-opening as well. Yes. I remember that, Guida. (laughs) And it makes total sense. I understand that for a lot of folks who are in the program, they've never had any place to talk about this stuff, right? And I forgot who else said something similar, but she said, it's almost as if you finally show up to a place and everyone's speaking the same language as you, right? Everyone is talking about their inner child and their past relationships. I'm glad to hear that because that is what we were striving for was having that really safe community. And so it makes sense that your guard was up at first, right? And you needed to learn that it was safe and okay to feel this way. Mm -hmm. And speaking of such, we were talking about the fearful avoidant attachment before we got on this call. What do you think about your childhood contributed to developing that attachment style in you, Guida? Yeah, I'd say for me, I did grow up in a fairly chaotic household. I have three siblings and then there's my parents and my parents are immigrants, but myself and my siblings were born here in Canada. And this is probably a similar experience for, I think most of the people I actually know of whose parents are immigrants or they being immigrants themselves. Mm -hmm. And then obviously having parents who are immigrants can really relate to this where having a family that's in survival mode in a lot of ways where they were doing the best that they could. And a lot of that is about working hard and meeting the family's financial needs. And that's kind of put at the utmost of what needs to be done. And, you know, also not having the tools because I think so many cultures and just society in general, it's been a scarcity and survival mindset where people haven't maybe been aware to turn their minds to like emotional needs, but also maybe turning your mind to emotional needs has been a privilege for a lot of people and for a lot of people throughout periods of history. And so I think with my family, that's what it was where There wasn't room to talk about emotions. There wasn't room to show emotional weakness. And I was under a lot of pressure to be ideal in a lot of ways and to be an ideal student and to be a high achiever. And I always felt like my worth was riding on that and that I wasn't worthy of love or attention unless I was achieving well. And you know, I wouldn't get attention from my dad unless 
I was A, acting out, or B, succeeding. And so I was kind of taught that it wasn't enough for me to just be me. Like I wouldn't get positive attention just by being me. I had to be hyper successful or I had to be acting out. And so I think for me, those memories and that pressure started from a very early age. Thank you for explaining that. And it makes total sense as a fellow child of immigrants. We all seem to have a very similar story around that, right? No matter where we were born of what it was like growing up in survival and having that as our baseline for what our relationships and lives were going to look like. And so after growing up in that environment, Guida, how did that influence your romantic relationships later on in life? I don't think I realized it at the time. And it maybe wasn't until I decided to start seeking therapy work that I realized how maybe unhealthy a lot of my partnerships were. And so that would have been in 2017. So I've been getting progressively more aware, but I feel like things really cracked open more recently. But where I would see this show up in my romantic partnerships is I would be very hot and cold. I would find myself idealizing partners and chasing ones who would often, you know, where they would sometimes be aloof or where they weren't showing a lot of interest. But I think I liked it. Like looking back, or maybe liked it isn't the right term. I think that it was maybe where my comfort level was because I think it reminded me of the dynamic I had with my dad growing up where it's like I had to fight really hard for his attention. So I think it became normal for me to think that it's not necessarily enough for me to be myself. And actually, when I was doing the relationship inventory through the coaching program, so that was one thing I had a bit of difficulty with. And so essentially it was one task for one of the modules where we're to like itemize so many relationships in our life. And one of them has been like past romantic partnership. So that was very daunting for me to go through. And I left that until actually quite recently because I found that to be quite intimidating. And one thing that I really realized is that when I had to sit here and process all of these relationships that I was in and the dynamics of all of them was that I didn't show up authentically. And I think that's part of my fearful avoidant attachment style as well, where again, because feeling like I have to perform and it's not enough for me to be myself, I actually thought like I was sitting here looking at this Excel spreadsheet and being like, these people didn't know me. And I remember partners would sometimes comment when I do something and they'd say something like, oh, I didn't know you did that or I didn't know that about you. And the look of surprise on their face. And those moments were interesting to me because somehow I thought that they knew me better than they did, but they were constantly surprised when I would share or act in certain ways. And so all that to say, exactly, it's the mask. And so realizing that it's always been very hard for me to be myself. And I think it's the push and pull between wanting intimacy and wanting partnerships, but then being very fearful of how people are going to treat me once they see the real me. Because again, like, is that going to be enough for them? And so it's a push and a pull. And it would get quite chaotic. And I was used to a lot of chaos and heightened and volatile emotions growing up. And so I was used to that in romantic partnerships. And I think I would seek it out. Like it was a thrill. And I was 
kind of addicted to that chaos and the type of behavior that had been role modeled to me through my family, my extended family, through media, through hearing about how friends, parents and everything operate. So I think all of that was fairly normalized as well. And I think when I'm thinking about the way that my fearful avoidant attachment style showed up, it's also that I had a lot of trouble with emotional intimacy. I think, again, that's part of me, like being afraid to share or show my inner world to partners. And it's very easy for me to get into sexual intimacy instead. And so I think that's how I would try to foster a connection with people. And so it was through a lot of sex. So I was really promiscuous and this isn't a knock on any of that, but I'm just saying from like my own experiences, I can now see that that's where a lot of that was coming from. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of fun, It's funny stories. It was like, it's certainly a chapter in my life, but I think a lot of that did come from a place of longing and not knowing how to connect with people. And I think it definitely came up that way. And so what's been interesting now throughout my healing journey is I had always seen myself as someone who was quite sexually active, really enjoyed sex, comfortable in my sexuality. But now I'm starting to wonder, I'm like, how much of that was a people pleasing type of tendency and just a way for me to get close? So one thing I'm grappling with right now is really my relationship with sex and with my sexuality, because I wonder how much of it was just an attachment response. Did I have an ulterior motive in it instead of me actually enjoying what I was doing? I was there too. <laughs> Definitely had some years in my 20s. Thank you for being able to be so vulnerable about this, Squida. I think a lot of people are thinking this, right? It's hard to put into words. What comes up for me is we're in a weird stage in society where I agree with you. It's not about shaming women for these things, but it's about looking deeply and asking ourselves those big questions, right? Like, why am I actually doing this? And is this what I actually want? Thank you so much for being able to put that into words so beautifully, Rita, because I was there too. I also grew up as having more of that disorganized attachment style. And sex, right? Sexual attention was one of those easier ways to get connected with someone because you can bypass that entire process of getting to know someone first and building that foundational safety, right? You can bypass all of that. It's the quickest way to get connected, whilst at the same time, you're not connected, right? Because you're not showing all of you, you're not showing the real you. So, you know, after having experienced all of that, Guida, I know that you've had some quite very different experiences with dating as of late, so I'd love to hear about what feels different now about dating. What tools helped you? Yeah, that's a great question. Because one thing I did tell myself as I go into dating again now, and this might sound really odd, but I was like, I don't want to date or sleep with people I don't like. And so that might sound really funny to hear, but it's because, again, like the reasons why I was attracted to certain people or what I was getting out of it, it's like, I sometimes realize I don't like these people much as people. Like, I don't think that they're necessarily good people or that they're people I want to introduce to my friends. And it is a bit of a constant push and pull. 
even as now, like I'm not on dating apps or anything right now, I do sometimes think like, oh, it would be so easy to just hop on a dating app and go on some dates and just have something casual. But I have to remind myself that that's not actually what I want in the long term. And that the energy that I put towards things I don't want, like that's taking away from energy invested in things that I do want and invested in things, people and experiences that are more aligned with myself. And so I think part of it was just like really coming to terms with what I want. And another aspect, which makes dating a bit different right now is I'm trying hard to go on more like trauma informed dates. So that's something that I learned through the program is to have a different dating style. And, you know, people are so different. And so what works with my friends or other people to go on dates might not work for me. And so understanding that it is better for me to perhaps go on a date where alcohol isn't involved first, where I'm not sure if I like you or if I'm just having a good time and this is a nice cocktail and I'm feeling a bit buzzed. And so really distinguishing that and trying to understand more if like this is a person that I would have as a friend as opposed to getting caught up in all of these bells and whistles. Another few things that I've learned have to do with, I think, communication style and really understanding and putting a lot of stock in how people communicate and not necessarily giving people the benefit of the doubt. And so I think that might come off as a bit ruthless, perhaps, but I think I mean it more so from an abundance perspective and mindset where I truly feel like I'm in an abundant mindset. And I felt like this for several months now. And I think what that means for me with respect to dating and healing my fearful avoidant attachment style is that I understand that there are so many people out there. And I truly believe that. I believe that there are so many amazing people out there to enter into relationships with. It's just a matter of finding and aligning with and attracting the right people. And so I've come to understand that when people aren't being consistent, which is something that I need, when people aren't being, you know, responsive, which is something that I need, when people aren't being thoughtful or aren't being considerate, like if I'm picking up on any sort of like boundary pushing, let's talk about online dating. So if I'm picking up on any of that through initial messages, I just think, okay, I'm not going to try to sit here and make up excuses for this person and their communication. That's fine. Like I'm just done talking to this person. We're not compatible. It's not anything negative about this person, but it's just that they're not compatible with me and I need to just move on to the next thing. You know, I started online dating a bit in the fall, I'd say in some of winter. So like maybe September to December-ish. And it'd been great. You know, I went on some really nice first dates and I got to the point of a second date only with one person. But it's been a lot of me also being confronted with what my type is. So messaging or like talking with people where I kind of know I don't think this is going to be great for me. This seems familiar. And so it's like recognizing that sense of it being familiar and these past little wounds being triggered. And then the moment I want to start making excuses for their behavior, just realizing, you know what? No, this is what I need. I need consistency. I need this. I need that. And this person isn't showing up that way. So as much as I'd love to go on a date with them, because on paper, they seem great. And they're like really attractive and everything. It's like there are other people out there. Yes. 
Exactly. Oh, Guida, it warms my heart so much <laughs> to hear how well you're doing. And I didn't know that the trauma-informed dating impacted you that much. Yeah. It was just making me think about, I never felt like relationship advice columns were made for people like us. I remember watching old videos and books and it was just about like, oh, just wear red on dates, right? Or hold eye contact for 10 seconds or whatnot. It never made sense to me of why, you know, going on just a movie and dinner, like that setting just didn't feel good for me, right? And I think applying that trauma-informed lens, at least for me, just helped me feel like, hey, dating doesn't have to be so overwhelming or it doesn't have to be so complicated. And we get to have a say in the matter as well. It's not just about impressing the other person or, you know, trying to get someone to like you or find you attractive. So thank you for that. <laughs> it brought back a lot of memories for me. Yeah, and thanks for bringing up that point as well about how perhaps a lot of traditional dating advice isn't really aimed for people like us who have these types of attachment wounds or these types of like childhood experiences. But, you know, I think those tools from the trauma-informed dating lens were so helpful for me. So I remember, and Gloria, you might recall this when this person who I had met at my workplace, actually, when I was working in the hospitality industry for a few months this year between law jobs. And it was yes. someone who had asked for my number. He was a regular who would come in and... Oh, I remember that guy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. It's like, that was a train wreck. But it, essentially, it ended before it started. So the way that he wanted to take me out on a first date, it just automatically... I just felt my entire system just flare up. You know, wanted to pick me up, wanted to take me out to this fancy seafood restaurant downtown or something. And I was just like, whoa, this is just a lot. This is excessive. Like, I'm not going to yeah. feel comfortable being in this type of stuffy environment where I have a tendency to perform. And I don't want to do that anymore. So I don't want to be in an environment where I feel like I have to perform as someone. And so we didn't end up going on a first date for a variety of reasons. But one of them, I think, and what precipitated that was because I did call him and I did say, like, listen, thank you so much. That seems like it's a nice idea, but I'd actually be much more comfortable and be better able to be myself and better able to just like focus on getting to know you if we maybe did something more casual, like went to a coffee shop and like went on a walk or something. And so I didn't even really know that that was an option. And that might sound odd, but I think we're so used to dating in a certain way where I'm like, don't people, yeah, you go out for dinner, you go out to a bar and stuff. And it's like, maybe that hasn't worked well for me, or maybe I ought to try something different. Because if one of my issues is showing up authentically as myself and performing, I think I need to get in front of that and be in an environment where I feel safe and I feel safe to be myself and where I don't have to perform yeah, so that was great for me. And also with several other dates, you know, people had suggested doing something where it was honestly, it was too much of a time commitment for me, where it's like, you know, they wanted to do like mini golf and then dinner, or they wanted to do like a walk and then make a gingerbread house. And these are all really nice, thoughtful, wonderful date ideas. But another thing I realized about my attachment style is I can get overwhelmed quickly and then it's like, I can't spend that long on a date with someone and be somewhere where I don't feel like I have an exit plan. It's like, we're going to go out to the suburbs and go to this arcade thing. But then 
how long is it going to take me to get back into the city if I want to cut the date short? (laughs) Exactly. I'm trapped. Right. (laughs) So all of that had been so helpful. And it was good for me to like voice my thoughts on that with people and to set boundaries on that. And then seeing how they react to that had been very telling as well. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And Guida, I just want to let you know, I've told you this many times, but I've been able to see your progress over these months. And it's humbling for me. It's such a joy that I get to experience. And I've mentioned this before, but one of the times where it really came through, and I could see it in your eyes was after you chopped off that hair. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not about the hair, right? I know that the hair cutting was symbolic. It was metaphorical to represent that internal shift that you were making. I felt like I was starting to be able to see the real you, Guida, from something about that day to now. And it's been beautiful. So I just wanted to share that with you. (laughs) Thank you so much for saying that, Gloria. Um, It's funny. I thought you might make a comment about my hair because you do that every now and then. So I was putting product in this morning for you, actually. I know no one else is going to see this video call. But I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, in case Gloria, you know, makes a comment about the haircut, I'm going to put some of that air dry cream in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it looks fab. Actually, I took into your footsteps. I chopped off my hair recently too. <laughs> oh, wow. I cut yeah. off about Okay, I can see because you're wearing black. It's a bit hard to tell right now where yeah, your you hair ends. Tell, but... <laughs> yeah. Wow. How does it feel? My neck suddenly felt so much lighter and I didn't realize how heavy all of it was. Did you get that too? Yeah, actually, it just feels so much better. And I think because my hair was so long, it was weighing down my hair. And so now it actually appears thicker and more wavy than it did before. And so, yeah, everything just feels different. Oh, yeah. It looks lovely. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Guida, I know we're coming to the end of our time today. I didn't even get through half the questions I have because this developed organically into such a great conversation about so many things. But are there any last words, anything that you'd like to share to maybe the past you, right? Or someone who is starting where you were, you know, one or two years ago? That's a great question. And that is something I thought about coming into this interview Because I think there's honestly so much and there's so much I've learned over the past year. So a few of the key takeaways, I think one might be, you know, you're worth it. Like take the chance on yourself. And I think it was phrased so well at the beginning of the program in one of the earlier modules about it's the depth of healing that we do. It's not necessarily like the time that we take to do something. And For all of the time that we don't spend healing, it's like you just end up accumulating more stuff that you need to then work through at a later point. So I'd really encourage people to get in front of it. If there's that feeling inside of you that you want to work on something and that you want more or that you want help, that's not going to go away. I encourage you to really act on that. And the sooner that you can work on that, the more quickly you can start living happier, really just in your day-to-day. Like for me, this program wasn't even just about dating. It's about relationship building. It's about self-confidence. Like I'm at a better spot with respect to my career. I'm showing up more authentically at work. I'm happier around family and friends. I'm happier with myself. So I think it's worth it to take that chance on yourself. You're worth the investment. Like money, I don't want to sound 
glib about it or dismissive of people's financial realities, but you can't get back time, but you can perhaps get back money. So it's like invest in yourself and get ahead of some of these issues. Another thing is really understanding this concept of reparenting yourself. And I really do feel like I've gotten to meet my inner child throughout this. And I speak to myself a lot more kindly. And I think a lot about what my inner child, like what young Guida deserves and what she needs. And I consider that before actually making a lot of decisions. You know, it's up to me to keep her safe, kind of like I'm her parent. And so I think that's been a big takeaway for me. It's about moving slowly and being patient with yourself. And, you know, you can really flip that switch. For me, I feel like a switch has been flipped. I truly am operating from an abundant lens now. And there's like so many different possibilities and avenues with respect to everything in life, with respect to careers, like partners, the friends you make, where you live. So things can and do get better. And sometimes you don't even know until you're living in it. And then you kind of take a moment to look around or take a step back and you're like, oh, okay, like, you know, I've come pretty far. I'd also say like, I really benefited from some of the exercises around silencing your inner critic. Like I realized that I had pretty negative internal self-talk and I think I've effectively silenced my inner critic. Like she comes up sometimes and I can deal with her much more in a way that where I don't feel as emotionally reactive about what's going on. But wow, like I speak to myself so kindly now because I think especially when you grow up in certain environments where like you're chastised a lot, you're scolded a lot, that's that inner dialogue that you develop. Like you aren't inherently kind to yourself and your misgivings and your shortcomings you could be hypercritical. And now, honestly, this might sound a bit corny, but it's like, I try to treat myself like a kid. I try to talk to myself like a kid. And (laughs) it might sound a bit bonkers, but it's like, I'll, you know, I'll be like, oh, sweetheart and this type of stuff. And it's like, hey, it works though. It works for me. Like it's really helped me switch that. It's like, if I see myself still as being this person, as being this five-year-old kid who deserves everything in the world, And all the good things, it's like, I think you treat yourself a lot better when you remember that you're that person still. Yes. Welcome to the club. (laughs) That's what happens when you join Soulmate. You end up talking to yourself. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, you end up talking to yourself. So it's so funny, Glorious, because like the building that I live in, someone lives beneath me. And I was recently speaking to her and we were just talking and she's like, I can hear everything upstairs so I'm just like oh man and it's like you can hear me cry and she's like yeah and I'm like I wonder if she also yeah hears me talk to myself then right talking to my inner child I'm like yeah she probably does she probably just thinks that I'm like she's like what is up with that woman (laughs) that's hilarious oh man but you know what you might just inspire her (laughs) maybe she'll start doing the same with herself (laughs) yeah 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 everyone needs to talk to their inner child well Guida oh man so many nuggets in this conversation. I'm going to have to process our talk because this was so, so wonderful. Such a beautiful discussion about intuition to these deeper relationships. But ultimately, I think it sounds like you found yourself, right? That's what I'm getting here is you have dug through everything and found yourself at the end of this. And I couldn't be happier for you, Guida. I have no words left to say. (laughs) 
Oh, thank you so much, Gloria. Like, I appreciate you so much. And thank you for having me on the podcast. And I'm so appreciative of your program. And it's just put me in a position where I'm just excited about life and excited about the future. Yes. (laughs) And cheers to everything that 2023 is going to bring for both of us. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think big things, right? Lots of good things are in store. Bestie, I hope you loved this client success transformation story. I hope it filled you up with hope and showing you what is possible for you too when you put in the work to make a change. Now, if you saw yourself in this client's story and you thought, wow, I am so much like them, maybe you've been trying to do things on your own or you've been trying to work things out in therapy and things just aren't really changing for you in terms of relationships, then maybe it is time to get some help. If you are an ambitious high achiever, I invite you to book your free love strategy consultation with either myself or a team member. This is a free consultation where we actually meet with you and give you a rundown of what your core relationship needs are. And folks have found even the consultation highly, highly valuable. Just go to buygloriazang.com slash soulmate to book your free one now. Spots are limited every single month. And if you're not ready for that yet, you're always welcome to check out my free workshop. In this free 45-minute workshop, you will learn the secrets of how to attract an emotionally available relationship based on our three-step system that has a 97% success rate inside of Soulmate. This workshop is perfect for people who are tired of begging people to stay, convincing them of your worth, sabotaging relationships with your roller coaster emotions, and if deep down you truly just want to be loved and to find a companion, go to gethealthylove.com. Dot com to sign up now for your free training. Life is hard enough. Love doesn't have to be, and it's not your fault because you just didn't get what you needed when you were growing up, and we can help you fix that now. So my loves, have a wonderful rest of your day and an abundant life, and I'll see you all in the next episode. Mwah. Bye for now. If you love this episode, please hit subscribe and give us a five-star review. It really helps me a lot, so thank you. To join the community and get your daily dose of inner child tips, follow me on Instagram and social media at ByGloriaZang or visit ByGloriaZang.com. If you're a high achiever or entrepreneur who wants to work with me, message me the words high achiever and I'll get in touch. Thanks, bestie. See you in the next one. Thanks for tuning in, Bestie. I've got something for you. If you think this show deserves a five-star review, we'll send you my free Inner Child Starter Kit as a thank you for your support, which contains exclusive wallpapers and resources for you to download. To get your kit, just upload a screenshot of your review on Apple or Spotify to my webpage, bygloriazang.com slash reviews. The link is also in the show notes. There you can also check out my healing sessions and programs at bygloriazang.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and I will meet you in the next episode. Mwah!